Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of London Calling, our very own property podcast brought to you by Corico Professional Mortgage Advisors. My name is Monty, you know the drill by now, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This is London Calling. So welcome. We have uh, well, we've spoken a lot in the past about the general market, first-time buyers, and standard products. But there's a whole world of more specialist finance out there, which has seen some pretty impressive growth over the past few years. This incorporates not just landlords with large portfolios, but also bridging loans, second charges, and the subject we've received loads of inquiries about: development finance. With the government focus on house building and especially trying to help more people build not just their own homes but homes for other people, there is more onus than ever on development finance, whether this be for small or large-scale projects. As far as Corico is concerned, it's a sector we've been active in, well, for a long time now, and given the amount of attention it's now receiving, it seemed like an ideal time to tackle this subject in more detail. So if you are looking at getting into development or you're an experienced developer reviewing your options, stay tuned. To discuss this, I'm delighted to be joined by two experts in this field. On the lending side, I have James Bloom, who is the Managing Director of Development Finance for Masthaven. Hello, James. Hello, Monty. And on the broker side, we have the very experienced but ever youthful Julian Ingle, Director of Corico Specialist Finance. Hello, Jules. Hello, Monts. So, well, thank you both for coming. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, as I said, there's been a, a marked increase in the availability of developments finance over the past couple of years. Stats, well, stats that I've seen suggest lending to property developers increased to around about 10 billion in 2015. Um, James, what what has this change in risk appetite been driven by? Is it is just high returns for riskier lending or, or something a bit deeper? I think it's two things. Uh, one is the um, emergence of new specialist lenders in the market, whether they be challenger banks, whether they be um, boutique lending houses. I think there is additional access to funding for, mm. for developers and the traditional source of high street banks is being disrupted and challenged, uh, um, which has led to um, a growth in, in opportunity for the house builder. I think there's no doubt that there is a, a drive for return at the moment, obviously with yeah. many years of very historically low interest rates, uh, people are looking at options and, and looking for yield and return. So I think it, it is an attractive time to be a property developer. Uh, the market's been reasonably solid. As mm. I said, interest rates have remained low and flat for many years. So I think it's that combination of, of new sources of finance and, and the attraction of being in the sector at the moment. Yeah, we, we saw that die off quite a bit after the uh, after all the credit crisis yeah we all woke up in june thinking the world had ended and uh lo and behold the day after that the sun rose and the sun so, fell and, so that's and, brexit and, 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 last the, and, year. and the world carried on last yeah. year yeah so um you know i think there was absolutely an initial drop in activity and, and a uh, a mild panic shall we say i think yeah. that then subsided when people realized that it was at least a two or three year event and yeah. uh we'll, we'll see what happens but that 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 is a sort of watching brief obviously and, and no doubt will have some ramifications for the market so it seems yeah. uh it seems business as as usual, really. I think I think business as usual with a cautious um, view on what's likely to happen. But yeah, I think at the moment it's business as usual. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the world is is uncertain. Uh, we're seeing some news unfold this afternoon that that, that shows us what a precarious world yeah. we can be in in London. Uh, but in terms of property, yeah, uh, you know, no doubt the Brexit is that is that elephant in the room. No one knows which way 
things will happen. You know, once um, once moves get made, and you know, we'll have to see what happens. But yeah. it, it is definitely a, a cause for concern. Yeah, yeah. Jules, have you? Um, uh, well, sitting in the office, it seems like there's a well, there's a bit of a buzz, isn't there, from from your boys about about the development world? Am I misinterpreting that? Or I would say that probably sixty seventy percent of our business in the specialist sector is development finance. I think just to go back, uh, row back a couple of pinpoints that James was making, and you were asking, I think once. Um, going back to when the credit crunch, I think that's what you were referring mm. to. And at that particular time, you had all of the major institutions. We obviously had restructuring. Lots of banks were, were disappearing. And the pullback in that marketplace um, significantly because there were so many moving cogs in development finance meant that what we had is a retraction in the, in the, the larger bank space. And then those opportunities started to occur uh, and, and that's really a little bit whether the recent history in the last eight, nine years for yeah. the, 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 the would-be developers out there, it's, it's quite in, interesting to understand how that's occurred. And I think the maturity of the sector over the last three, four years um, has pleased uh, and, and massively pleased us. And I think you're, you're getting different, especially the um, the bridging side of things with different opportunities that are coming in and slightly different angles. I think there's a, there's... A, there's not too many, but there's a lot of um, lenders coming into this space. Mm. And a lot of people use the word bridging, but often we use that for development finance yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's no doubt. Um, we, we saw, I, I was previous to Masthaven, a small specialist sort of niche lender, and, and we saw our opportunity increase massively mm. after the traditional high street lenders pulled out, you know, 2008-9 and, and led to some really great opportunity. And I think that void... Uh, because the, the high streets have not come into that type of lending, certainly at the smaller level, mm. and that, that void has been filled mm. by what used to be called specialist lenders who are becoming more mainstream yeah. now. I think some of the bridges and the specialist lenders actually yeah. have taken that place, and, and they are now the, the mainstream lender of choice for that mm. type of short-term finance. Do you get a sense that the banks are actually sort of watching and, and thinking, well, hold on, actually, yeah. we're, it, there's good returns to be made here. We can I come back into this sector now. I think they're there, yeah. um, but they're... Their risk factor is far less than, than most of the others. So if you're looking at your, your mainstream lenders, mm. your Barclays, your Lloyds, your HSBCs, the, the, that, the, that ilk, you'll get them doing low leverage. Yeah. Um, so what then happens is you either you know, to extend that leverage, you either put a, a mezzanine slice in, which is a second charge, so yeah. there's, a, there's a slice on top of the first charge. And so that, there's activity in that space. Or you get the stretch senior, which is what we would use as rather than borrowing at 50 60 percent can you go 60 or 70 percent okay and doing yeah. one so charge all the way through. Yeah. so they're stretching that and that's yeah. where james and uh, his business um, would come into their own and uh, position themselves in in the marketplace and, and that's where uh, the mainstream lenders tend not to go mm. and that's where the real activity is f- mm. for us anyway for either um, experienced or non-experienced uh, developers um, I don't know whether it's worth, worth touching on the um, the inexperienced developers because I think that's um, uh, a space that we're watching very, very carefully. I mean, I think most banks, uh, most lenders would always want their, lend- their, their borrowers to be experienced. Um, I, I've always found that a challenging piece in the marketplace and I think that's where I'd love to see some more uh, activity, I guess, to bring yeah, new developers into are, the market. Are you finding there's that there's that demand for, for from people who are who are looking at it and thinking, okay, well, I want to get into into this kind of 
kind of market now. I want to do some I think development it's, work. I mean, I, I think where people have, where we see it typically is either your, your investors, your property investors, your buy-to-let investors that have experience with property generally and have opportunities to either add a, an additional flat above something or, or a unit they already own. Mm. Um, and I think that area is, and they don't necessarily have property development experience. And I think the other thing is sometimes people have not career changes necessarily, or they, they want to choose something different, they've got cash, and they, 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 they like the idea of moving into property. And that's more challenging. That's definitely more challenging yeah. space. Yeah, so our view on that is... We take a fairly pragmatic individual view on on those types of cases. I just literally had a case across my desk, funny enough, as I was coming uh, on my way here, where a couple of chartered surveyors who've not done development before, but obviously they've got property experience looking mm. to build number of units. And, and that is a project that we, we would support because we feel they've got the professional property angle to their CV. They know who to bring in terms of the right team. Uh, and we would back someone like that. Where you, I think from a lending point of view, need to be very careful is allowing somebody to massively come out of their comfort zone, overstretch themselves, take on a project with too much complexity, um, you know, too much capital need yeah. that they don't have. And, and I've seen from 30 years of development lending the ramifications of that, and they're yeah. pretty awful at times. But how does somebody get started if nobody backs them? So we, we take, we call it relevant experience. So yeah. we, you know, if, if someone's done some refurbs and extension wants to build a house, we would we would do that and we do quite a bit of that. So we try and be a bit of a halfway house where, yep, someone with no experience would struggle, though we have a self-built product for people that are obviously moving to their own home, we're fully regulated, so that we can do. But mm. yeah, I, I agree, there is definitely a need for for, the, for that well, type of startup finance. I might have a case for you. Perfect. You go through it now or take <laughs> that off live? You might, take might, that off might, might bore it's everyone. Just, you just, yeah. Let's just go off at tangent. Just, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's not for you, Monty, is it? Hey. No, me, build a house. Would be yeah. house builder, yeah. Right? yeah, no, I can't make my bed, let alone make a house. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there that are frustrated property developers, yeah. and it's just yeah. making sure that you back the right ones. I think someone who's watched mm. a... Sarah Beanie type program and thinks they can buy a kitchen for £864.50 is always a bit of a concern. But someone who's got a professional background, a property background, you know, related, then yeah, you know, you can take a view yeah. in, in the right circumstances. So what advice would you give sort of would-be first-time developers then who, who get, are get yourself a strong team that you can learn from so i think it's very important to get the right professionals whether they be architect qs obviously the right contractors speak to people that have been in the industry speak to a lender that's got very substantial experience in the sector partner up with the right people and and learn on the job and make sure that you're learning from the right type of people look at the cvs of people you're working with look at mm. the work they've done before investigate and i think there's a big difference and and um I'm sure you guys can testify, you know, choosing uh, a right lender, if you're getting a mortgage, a bridging loan or a development loan is a very different type of, of sector. You know, your development lender is someone you can have a relationship with for 12 to 18 months and you need drawdowns from and you need yeah. someone at the end of the phone. That's very different mm. from either a mortgage or a bridging lender where you get your one lump of money and, and you don't need to speak to them again until you're ready to pay back at some point, hopefully, which is the idea of borrowing that you pay back eventually. Yeah. Uh, development lending, very, very different. It's, it's all about relationship and therefore, like any relationship that you're about to get into, whether it be a marriage, a partnership, a job or a development lender, it's really important to get somebody that you can work with and, and you can have a relationship with. And I think, I think it's very much a relationship business and that's mm. really important. So my advice in funding would be not necessarily cheapest is best, you know, to make sure that you get somebody that's a right fit for you and your project. Yeah. I think that's really important, yeah. really important. Yeah. Jules, anything to, to, I, yeah, to I add know, on I, that? I, 
I'd echo what uh, James has said on, on, on all of those points. The one thing I find is geographically, I think, when you've lived in an area, what we tend to find, well, I guess the majority of investors and developers tend to keep in a certain area. Yep. One, from continuity on their professional team, knowledge for them, timing, everything. And I think, you know, not to try and look at too many different areas, I think, and concentrate on whatever reason that actually is. And I think that's uh, that's a consistent thing we, we, we tend to see. Was as, as a, I mean, obviously, bigger house builders, different areas. But I think when you're starting out, it's to know an area very, very well yeah. and to... To, to, to speak to the local community. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I I, I sit on the credit committee at the, at the bank and sometimes you get a credit application and the guy lives in Cornwall and wants to build a couple of houses in the north of England. And your first question is why? Have mm. they got the specialist knowledge? Do they understand it and why? And and it's it's that sort of sense check as to mm. as to whether does that does that make any sense? Uh, and I think you're right. People that build up a really specialist knowledge in their patch gives them a real. Um, advantage and, and an extra angle um, mm. I think that's really important so yeah start small get the right team mm. around you and, and select your partners whether they be professional finance whatever they might be very mm. very carefully and uh, Jules have you seen you know James mentioned about the relationship being important have you have you seen changes from the lenders in in the way that they deal with with their clients and, and with brokers and is, is it a more relationship driven are they are they easier to deal with now I, 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 it, it totally. I mean, as I said, I was echoing totally what James is saying. Is that relationship has, I'd say, it's got more important. I don't think it's necessarily changed, but I think the point that James is making is, you know, you are going into a relationship with that lender, mm. and it's important for you to, 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 to ensure that you're delivering as a borrower. Um, information on time ahead of it. If there's questions, be frank with the lender. You know they're there to help. They want to ensure that the development is done on time and it's exited in the right way. And the more um, open, free conversations, you know, the, the QS that's going to be coming out, the, the, and not the QS, the uh, monitoring surveyor that's going to be coming out, um, is it, it's important to have mm. that information and to know what is required. Um, yeah. early doors and that's what we spend a lot of time doing as a broker is educating the the borrowers the clients to um, to ensure that they have and they're, they're aware of the, the type of questions that are going to come up so you know the monitoring surveyor is very important that relationship mm. and, with, and with the bank um, so uh, what about more experienced developers and what what does the lending market look like for them now has anything changed what should they be aware of i think i mean there's some obvious things however obviously we're quite london centric i think would be the and the, the the shift in stamp duty and certain pockets in the market on pound per square foot um has been a, a, a an area of finance which has been tricky for probably a year and a half two years getting on now for when the, the stamp duty at the top end for for the exit so i think there are from a for, from a, um, an experienced developer's position, I think it's um, there's more choice than ever. Mm. I would say in the last uh, eight nine years, I think there's there's plenty of um, types of lenders, and, and it, it's about their criteria, um, how they treat equity. Um, so, so when a developer partners with with JV or where the money comes through, it's, it's really important some parts of criteria on that and how those lenders react. Um, I, I think I think that's a, a a big point of where that criteria comes from. I think 
the, where the professionals uh, they're obviously aware of you know, stamp duty and so the pound per square foot is, is it's, it's an obvious point but obviously we've got PRA um, changes in buy to let rules mm. so when we're thinking about exits um, the lenders are all thinking about okay so who's going to be buying this and if they're not going to buy it can he refinance can the developer refinance mm. that and so there are different rules on the PRI mm. so, so uh, the, the the lenders are going to be thinking about how are you going to exit this there? Primarily, that's going to be through mm. sales, but sometimes there's a, re, um, a refinance option and some of those. Mm. And that, again, that's a shift that's occurred, obviously, in recent months and quite a significant shift. Mm. Um, but I, th I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of choice out there for, um, for experienced developers yeah. at the moment. James, you... Yeah, I think um, I think the sector has matured. I think developers and and the the, the quality brokers in our market are, are more mature in their approach and are aware of the additional options that are out there. Um, the type of questions we're getting asked, the type of approach that we're seeing, is better. I think in the last year or two than it than it has been uh, over the last sort of eight to ten years. There, there is more choice in the market. Uh, as I said, the emergence of, of specialist lenders, challenger banks, has really changed the landscape and made it much more interesting for the developer. Um, and there's, there's different opportunities, whether it be people, you know, stretch senior or, or, or mezzanine funding. I think there are more options available in the market. I don't think we're quite back to where we were perhaps pre-credit crunch yet. Um, I still think there's a there's availability and choice, but for the right project and client i still think for certain types and, and parts of the market it's still tough out there to get access to finance i think particularly at the lower end of the market yeah. i think there's a lot of specialist lenders that really become interested when they're lending a million pounds upwards mm. um you know we haven't happened to start much smaller than that but a lot of lenders are looking for the prime vanilla chunkier more exciting deals if you like the yeah. sexier stuff um and therefore, I think at the lower end is still a squeeze on access to funding. You certainly can't get it on the high street at the lower end, and you are looking for that specialist lender. So a bit of a, a two-tier market where at the upper end, I think there's a lot more choice and availability at the lower end. Still a big struggle, I think. Still quite difficult at times. And what about, um, so at that lower end, is that where the alternative lending providers? What, what about things yeah, like very, crowdfunding yeah, and, very and much things so. like that? Yeah, they... obviously you've seen crowdfunders come in. As I said, other specialist lenders, I think at that, level you're looking for alternative funding the hundred thousand up to 750 a million i think you're looking for alternative type funding uh, there, there is funding there and there's new sources of finance but it's it's less prevalent than at the the higher end um and yeah you know alternative lending sources which as i said earlier i think actually are becoming more mainstream in certain sectors now yeah. um is is a real choice for for the developer at the lower end yeah i think it's 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 really important that, that the sort of alternative lenders have filled that void mm. yeah so it's good news then. More choice is out there. Speak to a decent broker then, Jules. <laughs> Do you know one? I think the... Um, <laughs> thanks, James. I, the, there's you, you know, peer to peer and, 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 and all of the great new methods of where funding lines are coming through are all helping um, lenders to look at different ways. Obviously, they have a responsibility um, for, for, for the people that are putting the money in on the other side and so that offers up all sorts of other questions which we're not going to go into in this this, this point uh, in this conversation but it, it, for me it just gives more choice and different types of um, funding is always helps move a marketplace yeah. and of course yeah. it's not it's not nowhere near as it hasn't returned to where we were uh, 10 years ago or 10, 12 years ago I guess and, um, mm. Do you get a sense that it will? Do you, do you think we'll 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 be back in that space, or are there just too many unknowns at the moment? I think the 
the lenders have got to be looking at the exits always. Mm. And I think James is right. It's what he's highlighted is it's the lower end is, is, is less serviced. And I agree with that. It's less well serviced. Um, got to be looking at where that exit's coming from uh, and, and really addressing exactly how what that appetite is. You know, is 20 units going to flood that particular marketplace if you're going to sell them all at once? There's a reason why larger developments are phased. Um, so you've got to be thinking about that. And you know, do we think... Um, the question of Brexit will, will affect certain parts of the market. Um, I would say that London generally is um, uh, is p- more prone, and the South is more prone to, yeah. to those, those those things. Mm. Especially with um, there's a lot mm. of foreign nationals that live in London, and there must be concerns there of, of whether they would actually make them their mm. home over the next two three years. But uh, I, th- I, I think the lending market is there, and uh, I think there are certain parts of it that. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're quite careful with as as, as, a, as an industry. Um, but generally, no, I th- I'm really excited about the, the, the different lenders that are, mm. are coming into the space. And there's a lot more bank applications coming through as well. We've seen over the last uh, 12 months, and so that's new sources yeah. of funds coming through. James, you see, what about geographically? Are you seeing a, a, a big split in applications? Are, are they... Or from from everywhere, or are they very London centric, or are they? Yeah. So on the development side, we we don't have geographical restrictions as such. We we go up to the sort of north of England. We look at Scotland as well. We're into Wales. Um, there's no doubt, and we look carefully at geographic concentrations. Yeah. As a bank, you have to report on all these yeah, things. Course, it's, yeah. it's all very exciting MI that we talk about <laughs> every single day. It's good stuff. Um, so we look at geographic concentrations. So um, on the development side, yeah, there is a bias towards. I won't so much say London, but certainly southeast, southwest. But we're strong in the Midlands. We we do operate in the north, and, and there's some mm. really good hotspots there as well. So I think you're always going to have a natural tendency to have a concentration in London and the southeast. We're not central London-centric at the level we lend up to. We, mm. we don't really touch much in central London on the development side, but certainly quite busy in the outskirts and suburbs. So I think as it's always been really in lending books that I've sort of run, it's it's always got that southeast, southwest London bias. Uh, and I guess that will carry on. Where, where we're slightly nervous is that sort of central London top-end property mm. on, on our bridging side um, and on the development side as well, top-end of the market. I think, obviously, with the stamp duty changes and tax changes, uh, there's no doubt that that part of the market's been tough for, for at least 18 yeah. months, two years now. So we, we do look carefully at that and, and perhaps times restrict LTVs at that sort of um, type of property. So we're looking to try and be in the mainstream of the market at the moment where you know, average house price for the area rather than someone to trying to shoot the lights out and, and you know, break new mm. records. That's not where we want to be at the mm. moment as a lender. Okay. Uh, just a reminder that you're listening to London Calling, the property podcast from Corico Professional Mortgage Brokers. Um, right, planning. Planning. <laughs> There's a smile on your face, James. Yeah. Um, I know the, the government, well, you've seen the government white paper, they talk yep. a lot about changing planning rules yeah. to make things easier is that are you finding that still a, a major constraint for developers and what what could be done to improve absolutely that? so we, we were i was consulted i think probably at least two years ago by biz um government department to yeah. talk about planning and dclg uh through the nacfb that we were sort of put in touch with and um there was a panel of lenders there consulted on planning and the theme of the discussion was 
can we get something that's sort of pre-planning that is has some value in the house building funding process mm. and, and and we explained as lenders that what you're looking for when you're lending on a site is certainty of value and yeah. anyway you have certainty of value is certainty of planning because mm. as we all know site without planning how do you value you've yeah. got hope value and possible value with planning you've got an end value and you can do residual valuation on it yeah. so Basically, we explain that the problem with the planning system, apart from the fact that it's cumbersome, time-consuming, incredibly expensive, is the fact that you've got so much uncertainty, even when you get to an outline planning, you're still subject to lots of different reports and lots of different studies and environmental and et cetera, et cetera. So absolutely, planning is a major constraint, uh, certainly for the SME house builder. Mm. Uh, it, it always has been, and until the system is changed, I think always mm. will be. I'm not a big fan of the committee system. We get lots of nimbyism. Uh, I've seen all sorts of schemes over the years get turned down by, by a committee yeah. that, you know, people just didn't want it in their backyard. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's it's always been a red hot topic and um, I think continues to be so. And, mm. and so we were consulted probably two years ago. Whether that fed into the white paper, I don't know. But mm. I, I haven't seen major changes that unlock that that difficult and, and time no, there seems to be process. a lot of talk without yeah. actual yeah there always has been and yeah. i think with the current planning system it's no surprise that we don't build enough houses in this country it's not not a big shock joel so what, what about the clients coming to you have they have they have most of them got biggest... most of them got planning in place or uh mixed bag i would yeah. say 70 percent do um whether they then vary the planning afterwards yeah. that's what would sometimes happen whenever they were arriving at our doorstep, they would have some type of plan. We do have people that come to us with uh, sites that um, we've had a number of those. And and then, I mean, that, that is a very niche area at the moment on for, for, from a lender perspective with, with something, you know, planning. Lending without planning, yeah. Yeah, and typically what we would be looking at is track record from the developer. If, if someone hasn't got experience in either that area or has very little experience, um, for me, it's a very unlikely that we'd be able to assist, but we we might be able to. Depends on the site and, and yeah. what's been yeah. done previously. Um, I think location is hugely important, and and, and the council it's within. Um, I think that the profile of the individuals, the, the company behind doing the development, and if you've got a, 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 a strong uh, advisors in the planning side of things, yeah, you've got. Yeah, more than a good chance of actually getting funding on on things that haven't got planning. But it is a very very niche area mm. and still is. Um, outline, you know, we, we, with a step up um, into into planning areas where there's a variation that might be, and and that's an interesting one because from a from a lender's perspective, I think it's it's unusual to to vary planning whilst we're going through a process of funding. Um, so that's something you might be aware of is, is mm. to make sure everything's exactly right. Um, it's, it's a question I, I, I'm interested in debate with James on that is, is, is do you see yourselves going into those areas at some stage of for the right client? Yeah, just taking a step back, I mean, the one area where there has been a, a big improvement obviously in the last few years is, is, is permitted development, you know, mm. offices, office to resi, you know, which we've seen obviously a big yeah. take up. So whilst on the one hand I said there have been no changes in the planning process and system, you know, we have had a raft of um, developments that I, I, I guess would either have not taken place or would have would have not taken place at that time. So, you know, getting the prior approval to be able to do permitted development, that has, we have seen a big uptake in that. We funded a number of, of offices to resi schemes. You've got agricultural to resi. This year you've got changes to light industrial to resi. So, 
that that I suppose actually, whilst the planning system hasn't been improved on the side by diverting a raft of schemes away from planning, there has been an improvement. So I suppose a backdoor improvement would, yeah. would be the answer there. Uh, that hasn't sort of helped the the supply of new new homes, but certainly it's it's made a dent, I suppose, in 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 the level. So yeah, that has been an improvement. But Jules, on to your point, it, it's difficult from a lending point of view to lend without any planning where where we're comfortable where you know there's a property on site that client wants to demolish build a couple of properties or convert you've got an inherent value you can value you can you can benchmark and and work out what your loan to value is going to be i don't see us lending on sites without planning um hard to quantify Uh, and i think i think you're looking at an entrepreneurial risk there and we do take risk as a lender every day but it needs to be a calculated risk because we're on a fixed return whereas Mm. your developer's taking uh, the entrepreneurial risk and quite rightly wants to make his 30% return because he's taking that risk and his time and effort. I think as a lender on a fixed return, um, I don't see that it makes sense necessarily to go down that route uh, unless there's an, an inherent quantifiable value on site on day one mm. where, where we do look at that. Mm. Um, I learned a new term this week, volumetric construction. I must tell you, after you told me that, I did look it up. I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to pretend I'm an expert on volumetric construction, and I've been spouting it for the last five don't, years. Don't give away that you knew no, that was coming. No, I have coming. to. No, Come on. Monty, I've got to be honest. I, I can sit here and pretend to be an expert on certain things, maybe, but I, I, I don't take credit for something that I didn't know that, about. I but, still but can't I'm, remember. Uh, I don't do that. But no, uh, yeah, I, so I did, yeah. are you seeing a lot of, of, of different construction volumetric that's going out the window no, I, just, I researched just, that just basically modern methods yeah, of, of construction yeah. obviously there's a, yeah there's, I mean we've been lending on timber frame property yeah. for years and sit panel and concrete insulated panels and all sorts of things and, and there is some high quality off site mm. volumetric, volumetric <laughs> construction <laughs> methods in, in place and as long as they're CML compliant and in a lot of cases they're much better for energy and SAP ratings then we're very happy to lend on them. And, you know, anything that can be used efficiently to cut down the riskiest part of being a development lender, which is that period between the spade in the ground and the final yeah. sign-off from building control or your warranty provider, has to be embraced, providing, of course, that the methods that are being used are enhancing the quality and finish of the product. There's no point yeah. in having a great product that's built in a third of the time of a traditional build and you find you can't get a mortgage on it or the yeah. warranty provider doesn't like it or people yeah. don't want to buy it. But I think gone are the days of the Barrett's disasters of the 70s of timber frame where there, there is still in this country a natural reticence against um, prefabricated yeah. or, or off-site construction. But I think I think it's more commonplace in the last five to mm. ten years than it has been. Uh, so, yeah, we, we embrace it, providing it's of the right ilk and type and you've got the right type of construction in place. Then we're, we're all for it. Yeah. Why yeah. do you think that is? I mean, we we've, we st- we had um, some good examples, didn't we? Monty? You love a Huff house. And Hans house. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, and I saw those about 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they're great. Yeah. Like but we, I mean, this is going back a few years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was three, four years ago. Yeah. And I think lenders are, uh, I think the market's expanded massively in that. Yeah. So, but you look at it. Yeah. Beautifully made, lands on the site. Yeah. Seven eight days yeah. later, you yeah. have got a building. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, what's the reticence from? I, I call those marmite houses. Actually, I, I mean, I personally. Ah, so it's more about I hate the design, them, but that's it? just a purely aesthetic. You know, I much prefer a more traditional, yeah. older style build, but that's purely. From a Didn't personal you so point of view, James? well, you know, I'm nearly thirty just... now, Monty, so uh, you know, time, time's marching I on. Wish Let's move on video. from that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got perfect face for radio; it's great. Um, 
I, I think, um, well, it, you know, in parts of Europe, it's 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 mainstream. Mm. So whereas mm. we have traditional block, yeah, block and brick, it's you know, in in lots of European countries, they've been prefabricating majority for for many many years. So, I think there's there is in our psyche a slight natural reticence towards any type of prefabricated properties. But I, we've seen a massive explosion in the last five to ten years, and I think slowly the the market shifting lenders, you know, the long term lenders are accepting these methods of construction. So. Um, yeah, I think certain types of houses are, uh, you know, you love them or hate them, but that's just a personal point of view. From a lending point of view, absolutely, as you said, it's all about exit. So it doesn't actually matter whether we like the look of something. Is there an exit? Is there a demand? Is there a market? Is there a lender to take us out, whether that be a refinance for our client or the client's purchase? And if there isn't, you don't lend. So it doesn't matter how good something looks. If you can't sell it and it becomes a white elephant, then you don't yeah. want to lend on it as a lender. Mm. I yeah. totally agree. I mean, it, it obviously comes from the wider market, first of all, and where that appetite sits for these new areas of construction as specialist lenders. And in, in that space, we have to be acutely aware of what's available for the exit. Yeah. And then we work it backwards. So, uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it was a it was it wasn't supposed to be a difficult question. It was just because that that's that that's the reasoning. behind yeah, absolutely. It is, 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 is can we get our exit yeah. in place? Yeah. Um, no, it's, I think it's great. Once mm. the the, the, yeah. the the new, and if you can put something up that's that's better quality and quicker, mm. you know, I think that's an education process. There are all sorts of other things that you could look at. The, the smaller the square footage on some of the rooms. So if you've got developers out there looking at a under thirty meters square, under twenty five, you know, yeah. tread very carefully because yeah. the exit finance on that is very difficult. Yeah, and the those, are, those are classic yeah. Yeah. examples um, of where we've got to look at the outside market. Of, of how we actually fund it to begin with. Yeah, lenders and, and developers want to be in and out as quickly as they can. Mm -hmm. You know, no one wants to make a life's work. It's got to be methods of construction that allow the client to be off-site. A development lender shouldn't want to lend for a minute longer than necessary because yeah. it's it's a slightly a riskier type of lending and you want your build to be in, in place quickly and to the right level and you want your exit to be in place as, yeah. as the building's finished. That That's what a, a good, prudent development lender should be looking yeah. for. So... I think anything that can be done to speed up the process safely is absolutely to be embraced, definitely. Um, James, you, you spoke about earlier about choosing the right lender. Yeah. Obviously, it would be remiss of me not to let you uh, say a little bit about about Masthaven and yeah. and and what what do you do differently that to to the rest of the lenders? I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you're comfortable. I hope you're, you're, all comfortable. Thought... <laughs> just, hope you're you sitting. Go, I'll yeah. make it very I'm brief. I'm going to time you. Though. Go on there. there you go. There's a gong in the corner, so just bang that. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I so very, very briefly, um, Mast Haven has been lending in this sort of short-term bridging space since about 2004, founded by Andrew Bloom, no relation, although someone did once think oh, right. he was my yeah. father, okay. which um, we, we won't discuss, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and started off life as, as a specialist bridging short-term lender. Mm. Uh, three years ago, Andrew had a brainwave to become a bank. Um, we have a, a another shareholder who, who's involved in the process, and lo and behold, on the 28th of November last year, we became a bank. So we are now a specialist lender. Thank you, and that's opened up all sorts of opportunities and angles. And, and one of the reasons why I left my 29-year stint at another lender, so I was just getting my feet under the desk, <laughs> and decided that after 29 yeah. years, it was probably time for a change. Yeah, maybe, yeah, 20 years. Too long, You're an but... impulsive person. Then. Well, absolutely. It's cra <laughs> crazy, crazy, really, isn't it, after 29 yeah. years to think of moving? Um, 
and, and I decided to join for actually the exact reason that, that I've just talked about. Mm. The, the excitement and opportunity of becoming a bank really opens up some phenomenal new uh, avenues, product lines to our business. It means we can expand and go into all sorts of areas that we haven't before. It means that we're not beholden to other lenders and funding lines. We're obviously we're taking funds in now from retail depositors in the market as a bank. Uh, you know, with the FSCS protection. So it, it's opened up a whole new world to us. And that was the reason I joined, because of the excitement of doing that and the ability to perhaps build some products, which from my experience over the years, I knew that many clients that I dealt with would would absolutely embrace. Uh, so I was able to bring a lot of the experience I've had into the bank and take out all of the bits that I thought perhaps our clients weren't as uh, favourable on yeah and put in lots of new things that I thought that they would like and try and come up with what we th- we felt was mm. a, a really marketable, viable project, mm. uh, product for the for the market. So it's, it's really the sc- size and scope of the opportunity. It's the fact that I think the biggest thing, and I will finish off because I'm, I'm sure people out there are switching off uh, <laughs> listening to me. Um, putting the kettles it, on. Yeah, oh, okay. I could hear that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think the biggest thing for us to, to summarise is that we are a short-term lender that's become a bank. I think there are, there are plenty of other lenders out there yeah. and there's lots of, of, of new banks applying for licences. But to get into our market, which is the short-term specialist bridging development market, requires a certain type of psyche mentality approach, which is very, very different from other types of lending. And the beauty that we have and the, and the team that we've assembled is that between us, we've got a few hundred years of, of short-term lending experience. Not, not all me, I would add. Yeah. Uh, and, and we understand that although we've become a bank, we have to retain the, the heartbeat of a short-term lender, which means speed, flexibility, personal service, understanding of product, ability to speak to someone who can make a decision. So I like to think we've combined the advantages of becoming a bank in terms of, of obviously cost of funding and, and availability of funding with actually some of the benefits of... of switching across mm. from being that specialist short-term lender so really exciting times yeah, it really, really, really exciting yeah, yeah we it's have, an exciting we've watched, place to be watched your yeah. developments in the office yeah. and, yeah. and uh, the guys gen- genuinely do speak highly of, yeah. of Marseille in general, yeah I think so I, I like to think and you, you guys can perhaps be a better place than I am that we've got a reputation for plain honest speaking yeah a quick no is 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 nearly as good as a yes. Mm. It's not quite as good, but you know the slow, painful no is is worse for everybody. So I think the fact that we're plain speaking and can give a frank answer, yeah. and you can speak to someone that can actually give you that answer is is key. Yeah, you're always frank with me on the football pitch when I come up against. Let's you, not talk anyway. about that. <laughs> Should we talk about your goal <laughs> yeah. in the last game? No, let's not. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> right. What do you, have you got anything to add, Jules? Or, or, or can I go on to the next? I'll go into the next question. Well, no, I was just thinking that obviously we did give Master, Master Haven a, an award last year from Corica, didn't we? I oh, we did. Yeah. Mentioned oh, that. I forgot that. Which is yeah. so pride in a place in our border. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's how you know, how much we respect Best short-term our relationship. Lender. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we so. were delighted to receive that. It's mm. pride of place well in our trophy yeah. cabinet. Yeah, we're very yeah. grateful for that. Thank you. Um, right, we've just got time for uh, a very quick couple of questions. Uh, each of you, what concerns you most th- this year? Where, where are your biggest concerns? And then we'll come on to what, where are the biggest opportunities? Well, obviously, it goes without saying that Brexit fallout and ramifications. Um, there's geopolitical issues, as I said, very topical today. Um, tax changes uh, continue to bite, as Jules was alluding to earlier. You know, a big exit for us is buy to let and, and, the, and the changes in, mm. in affordability models. Um uh, alongside the, the stamp duty changes that we're already seeing in the tax treatment is making that secondary exit quite difficult in certain cases. So 
I think there's always grey clouds on the horizon. We know the property market is highly cyclical and we, we've had a you know decent run now for a number of years. So I think you've always got to be careful and, and, and watch for those grey clouds sort of turning into black clouds. But mm. there, there are some absolute issues on the table at the moment that are of concern or, or certainly being watched carefully. You know, we're cautiously optimistic at the moment, yeah. but, but with one eye on, on what could go wrong. Mm. You have to be that way in the property market. Jules? Um yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd echo the, the, the changes in the buy-to-let arena over the lot, and, and I think the, we're already starting to see some of the specialist lenders in the buy-to-let space become a little bit more slowed under, and their processing is becoming a bit more cumbersome, and, and the timing on that, and especially as we lead up to October, I, I believe, is its final changes. Um, I'm interested in the high net worth space as well and how mm. some of the exemptions around that mm. work. And I don't think that's filtered through properly mm-hmm. yet. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. And especially for the specialist lenders to be aware of, of some of how those can be positive changes and uh, some, some of those factors. Um, opportunities. Now, I was hoping James might come along with some of those opportunities that we could pinch off him. Pinch away, no problem. I think, I, think, I, think yeah. um, I like the HMO space at the moment. I think, I think that's uh, yeah. in um, for requirement for for, um, for people to live, etc. And an HMO is, is, is often tarnished with that, uh, what people's perceiving it. And I think you can get some very, very good yeah. HMO providers out there, yeah. as in the, the landlords. I think from our point of view, from an opportunity point of view, it's it's really continuing to disrupt the status quo. I think as a as a new bank, mm. as a specialist lender, we've got the opportunity to continually innovate, launch new products, which we'll be doing consistently throughout this year and next, that take into account both the short and long-term part of our business. So we're looking at some potentially combined products and, and having the ability from a technology point of view, without losing that personal touch, is to really make some good inroads into the market and mm. continue to take some market share away from lenders that perhaps have had it too easy for too for too long. Um, and I think it's it's a it's an opportune time for high quality specialist lenders to actually become more mainstream. Uh, and I think there's opportunities all, all over the mm. sector. So, you know, we're incredibly bullish about the market. We we're looking to grow at a fairly quick but cautious rate uh, and we believe that we can achieve that with some innovative products and and um, just a much more personal knowledgeable deep understanding of the sector mm. so we're we're excited at the moment good very good well if you're excited i'm excited well that's great we're all but excited we're both excited jules is excited are you excited jules <laughs> oh crazy go for it yeah well anyway i think that's just about all we've got time for so thank you thank you james pleasure i really enjoyed it thank you. you monty and uh thank you julian it was uh, a pleasure to have you too thank you monty. uh thank you all for listening and we'll be back soon with some more topical chat as ever any comments or requests for topics to cover in future episodes, please feel free to contact us. You can get us on Twitter at Corico or through our website at www.corico.co.uk. Until next time, this is London Calling. <laughs>